Welcome to A Walk in My Stilettos, where our goal is to help you walk in your greatness. I'm your host, McKinney Smith. Hey, Faith Walkers. Thank you for joining us today on the A Walk in My Stilettos podcast, where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but as a mindset coach, what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest about to bless us with her testimony. And since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. We have Tasia. Tasia Brown is a national communication strategist for Canada's largest federal public sector union and was elected president of the Canadian Association of Labor Media. She's a community activist at her core. She is the co-founder of the RISE Initiative, a nonprofit focused on creating social transformation at the local level by empowering diverse women and youth to become leaders in business and in the communities. She's been a spokesperson on CBC Radio and has been featured in Ottawa Life Magazine, CTV News, and CBC Ottawa. Please welcome to the show, Tasia Brown. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you for agreeing to come on and share your story with us. Oh, this is amazing. I'm actually having a bit of imposter syndrome because I'm feeling like you've interviewed so many amazing women and I'm like, wow, you really you want to talk to me? Okay. <laughs> Isn't it interesting as, as women how, you know, we we see all these other women that inspire us doing these things and we don't even give ourselves credit for the things that we do. Like you are absolutely amazing. Okay. <laughs> Thank you <laughs> so much. It's true. It's easy to like look at other women and be like so in awe of the great work that they're doing and we tend to downplay our own work. Totally, totally. And I can totally resonate with what you're saying because I always feel like I have imposter syndrome at the event, the sisterhood event in Ottawa that we met at, even that for me was like an imposter syndrome moment. And you know, I had oh, been wow. off for months dealing with health issues. So I knew that I had the event coming up and I felt like, okay, I've been out of my element for so long and I had to do this workshop and there's all these amazing people in this room and why do they want to listen to me? <laughs> but well, I you did an you absolutely speak. amazing job. <laughs> Thank you. But I heard you speak and I said, I definitely definitely would love to have her on the show. So thank you for saying yes. Oh, awesome. Thank you. So I'd love to start the show with an icebreaker question. And I definitely believe that as women, we have all these titles that we go by that we give all this significance to, but a title that we don't give enough recognition to is our name because Mm. it has meaning. So Mm. my question to you, Tasha, is do you know what your name means? I do, actually. I'm very into the meaning of names myself. So my name is Greek, and uh, it means of the resurrection or to rise again. I love it. Yeah, I'm super into it. Actually, both my kids, we named them uh, Greek names as well. They're Phoenix and Genesis, and Mm. Phoenix means to rise from the ashes, and Genesis means new beginning and new birth. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Wow, that's beautiful. So tell me. What did you want to be when you were a little girl? I feel like the first thing I can remember really wanting to be was a veterinarian. I used to have a dog, so I used to love animals. But I realized at the core of it was that I genuinely wanted to help. I love helping. And I think that's what kind of started it. And and then afterwards, I really started to get into writing stories. I used to like go to my aunt's apartment and I used to sit in her 
little old school computer and I'd type out these long, ridiculous, silly stories about like, <laughs> I don't know, candy lambs and things like that. But I just write stories on the regular for fun. Like instead of, you know, sitting on a video game, I'd be just be sitting around writing. And my family's like, you know, maybe that's like, that's what you're supposed to be doing. And then I ended up growing up and becoming a communications and campaign specialist. So how did you get into that then? Um, it's kind of a long run. So I had originally went to university for politics and I was really interested and I did some sociology as well as some writing and communications work as well. So I really wanted to get into policy and impact, you know, social justice, impact the, the amount of like programs that are out there to help people in the community. And that's where um, I had kind of started. I ended up landing an internship with a senator. I actually, that was in, back in high school. I was the first person in my high school to land uh, an internship at Parliament. And awesome. that led into university. And then after university, I thought, this is it. This is great. University degree. I'm like, you know, these jobs are just going to line up for it. And then, you know, especially being of, uh, my family on my mom's side is from Jamaica. They immigrated here and, you know, I'm from first generation Canadian. So kind of have all these hopes and dreams, especially from our parents that like, you know, you go to university and you're going to do so great and get this awesome job. And it didn't exactly play out that way. <laughs> it was a long time <laughs> of like volunteering and I worked at some like nonprofits. I ended up having to work second jobs and I was like, oh, wow, like, what's going on? I thought I was sold a dream that I was going to get this <laughs> did it. It took a couple of years of me really sort of like grinding and just knocking on doors until finally I was, while I was working at this amazing nonprofit where I worked with uh, newcomers to Canada. So I was working with either people who are on visas or uh, were refugees or had come as like to try to get primary residence. And then we would work with them to try to get jobs or, you know, train to pick up a second language. Um, but it just didn't pay the bills. You know, it was great work, but I was having to like work in the evenings at a restaurant to make up extra money. Mm -hmm. And then I one day I applied um, online for this union. And growing up, my aunt was involved in her union and my dad was super involved with the union, but I didn't really know what a union was. Like I was like, <laughs> okay, yeah, it's this thing that kind of fights for workers. Like I didn't quite know. <laughs> and I ended up applying, going to um, the interview. And the woman told me, you know what, I've had over 300 people apply for this job. It was an entry level admin position at the time. And she's like, but the thing that made you different was you had all of this volunteer experience. And it, it seems like your values line up with us. And so mm -hmm. I'm going to pick you over somebody who clearly had way more years of experience than I did. And that's how I got into the union. And I just kind of worked my way up and that time, a national campaigns officer, or communications officer. Now, I listened to the beginning of your story where you, you know, you went to school for politics and your values, why they gave you the position. And I think about mm. actually, so last year, two thousand and eighteen, I was a MPP candidate. For those in the U.S., it's member of parliament candidate, and I ran in the two thousand and eighteen election, and I knew nothing about politics. I never had any interest in politics because I didn't understand. It was the party that had approached me. Someone saw my journey and my values based on what I was sharing online and I was recommended to the party. When they approached me, it was because of what they saw in my values and that I genuinely cared about people and wanted to help and make a difference. 
Yeah, no, I love that. I think that should be the reason why people get into politics. And those are the people you want writing policies, right? That the, It's because of their values. It's not because they want the limelight or, you know, they just want power or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's because they genuinely want to help. They genuinely want to represent people from their communities and make an impact. And it's funny you use the word limelight because I remember saying to them, no, 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 that's too much attention for me. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> But you're exactly the kind of person that you'd want in those positions, right? Because there's too many people who get into it because they just love the spotlight. They just want to get in front of a camera and talk. But, you know, they're not always the people who actually do great work, you know, behind the scenes and don't create, you know, these great programs and policies that people need. Right. And it's, it's interesting that you say that, too, where I, after that experience, I mean, it was a great experience, especially for a learning experience for me in terms of what really goes on behind the scenes and starting to get that knowledge of policy and mm-hmm. how challenging that position is, because no matter how much you want to help, there are people that either don't want your help or will mm-hmm. nitpick at every little thing and totally disregard the work that you're trying to do, but they will find fault with your name, with your race, with your beliefs. Like it's, it's crazy. I want you to share the story that you shared at the um, sisterhood event about working at the hotel. And then a few years later being like next door at parliament. Right. Yeah. I, so as I mentioned earlier, I was working at um, the Shadow Lore. So for those of you who don't know, it's this big gorgeous hotel it looks like a castle it's a, you know it's sort of historic in Ottawa but they have a bunch of restaurants and so I landed a job hostessing so I would work at the nonprofit during the day and then jump on the bus or a car and run downtown and then do like a four or five hour shift on my feet um, hostessing at one of the restaurants and it's like I mean it's a fabulous restaurant to get to work at but I would be standing there and serving people and thinking what happened? Like, how am I hostessing at a restaurant after I just graduated with this, like, honors degree and not exactly where I wanted to end up? And sometimes I was hostessing with other, you know, lovely ladies who were younger than I was. It was kind of like, what are you doing here? Like, you have a big <laughs> degree and a full-time job. Like, why are you at a restaurant? Mm-hmm. So I remember feeling, like, really discouraged and really far from where my goals were. And sort of fast forward a couple of years, so I where I ended up getting into working at the PSCC, which is the union I work for, and spending some time, it took a little bit of time, like I had to kind of pay my dues and work my way up. But then just a couple of months ago, I was on my way to Parliament with the vice president of our organization. She's this amazing woman who is part Indigenous. So the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls is something that's extremely important to her. And I had developed a campaign on called the Red Dress Campaign. So it was this fabulous campaign that was linked to Jamie Black, who is an Indigenous Um, Métis artist and she created these installations where she would hang these red dresses around like campuses or parks and it was to represent the hundreds and hundreds of missing murdered indigenous women that have you know have sort of just disappeared and no one is really doing much and so here I am rushing with her I had written her speech we're going to parliament or you know getting through security we actually ended up doing a joint press conference with Jagmeet Singh, who is the leader of the NDP, and they were very interested in the work that we were doing. So I'm meeting him, prepping him based on like the talking points that I drafted for my executive president, and running around doing this, it's like so much pressure, and the, you only have so much time. You know, like we only have 
10, 15 minutes on air. They have to mm-hmm. start immediately. So, you know, we're trying to get through security. They were actually giving us a hard time because we had thousands of these postcards that had been signed by people who are supporting the inquiry into the missing were indigenous women and girls. And mm-hmm. at first security wasn't letting us bring them in. And I was like, so stressed out. But then once everything was great and she was, in, you know, the national executive vice president was in front of the camera and I'm standing behind the camera listening to her deliver the speech, it hit me that here I am on Parliament Hill, which is literally next door to the Chateau Laurier, the restaurant where I used to work. Mm-hmm. And I'm standing behind media on, while, on national television while she's delivering this speech that I had written <laughs> on a campaign that we did that I helped develop and thinking like, wow, a number of years ago, I would have never thought that this is where I would be because I, at that moment, I thought this is it. I made a wrong turn, something went wrong. I'm not <laughs> going to get to where I wanted to be. But it's interesting if you could like somehow go back in time and whisper into that, you know, version of yourself years earlier and be like, just hold on, just wait, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to grind, you're going to have to put in a couple more years, but you're going to get there eventually. So it was really an important moment for me. It was just sort of that little aha moment from God that was just kind of like, hey, <laughs> like, remember, remember when you used to be next door with sore feet, walking around that restaurant and yeah, so it was an amazing moment. That's a beautiful aha moment. Honestly, it is. So, okay, what inspires you most about what you do today? I think the great thing about working with a labor union is that they, at the core of everything we do is people, and it has an impact on, I mean, people have to work to survive. So, I mean, labor laws and work and having fair and just rules for for workers is like super important. And And then because of that, it stems off into social justice because, I mean, if you go into a workplace and you're dealing with racism or you're dealing, you know, with some sort of hate speech or if you're dealing with injustice and inequality, you can't do your job. So the labor union has taken upon itself that we can't just fight for workers. We have to fight for social justice as well. And so it's so inspiring every day to go to work and know that I'm getting paid to fight for people that I believe in and for diversity and to sort of like right a lot of wrongs that have happened in history or happened in this country. So it's definitely like been a super blessing to work where I work because I'm not just it's kind of like the perfect middle middle ground between, you know, nonprofits do such amazing work, but they're usually really limited in terms of their funding and they're dependent on others to give their money. Whereas the labor union is sort of this great way of where, you know, everyone sort of gives a little bit off of their paychecks to get this great service from their union to fight for them and to put the causes that are important to them forward. So mm-hmm. that definitely inspires me every day. Speaking of, you you know, you said it's great that you get to fight for what you believe in. You're very passionate also about reversing the evil stepmom narrative. So (laughs) at the the Sisterhood event, you shared your story of being a stepmom. So can you share like your views of, you know, the stepmother? So I have been married for 11 years this year. Congrats. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, yeah, so I met my husband in church. So we grew up in church together. He's like a couple of years older than me. And he was always kind of like a big brother figure, but we got along super well. And he ended up having kids at a like super young age and just growing up in church and sort of, you know, the traditional concepts, they were always like, okay, well, yeah, you need to marry this person, be with this person. 
and they didn't end up doing so but in the end you know when they got to a certain age they were like hey you know what we don't work really well as a couple but we're going to be co-parents we're going to be friends and just kind of go our separate ways and that's where you know i had been friends with him for all of these years and one thing sort of led to another and lots of talking and we just realized we had the same goals and same values and we've had this great friendship and sort of fell in love and so i went from being single to being a wife and a mother to three Mm -hmm. and that was a huge journey because one growing up in church and no matter how much i love the church and i love the community and some of my best memories are there it was really difficult because there was a lot of opinions Mm -hmm. particularly from church folk about they have this traditional view of like, well, no, if you have kids with someone, you need to marry that person. Even if you're miserable, it doesn't matter. You need to stay with that person. And and so there were a lot of people who didn't want to sort of accept that we were getting married and uh, didn't want to accept our blended family. And so that was like super hard. It was the first time that I kind of had been in a situation where I realized like, oh, I'm doing something that people don't approve of and I have to make a choice of whether I'm going to continue or go a different route, but do something that you know people think I should do, but it's not actually what I should do. Right. And so we kind of were like, all right, well, you know, we have to figure out and forge our own path. And so we've been developing this family. I got spent years uh, getting to know these wonderful, wonderful children. They are the greatest kids that you would probably <laughs> ever ask. It's such a super blessing. Like I've never had any issues with my kids in terms of being like, I don't, you're not my mother. And like, I hate you. <laughs> and shout out to like their mother that she's been very supportive from the very beginning. I was mm-hmm. always sort of treated like an equal in terms of for the parenting, like when we have sort of like democracy in our family in terms of whenever we make decisions for the kids and then you know, all three of us sort of kind of vote on it on major wow. decisions and stuff and so it's just been a huge blessing and for me it was this is sort of an example that if it's right and if you have faith that it's going to work out it will work out and it can be a positive thing even mm-hmm. if it's extra challenging but it's hard because I noticed how much one inside the church blended families are still like this new thing or they don't really know how to handle it and then on top of that just generally in society in the community there's still like a stereotype towards stepmothers like I find there's a bit of a double standard where men, if they become a stepfather, they're like this wonderful hero. There's this wonderful man that's taking mm-hmm. on these kids that are not their own. But if you're a stepmother, you used to dread meeting new people because when I'd have to explain, are you married or whatever? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm married. They're like, oh, are you, you have any kids? But I'm like, yeah, I have, I share three kids. Um, I'm a stepmother. And then their face would always like drop. Like they're, especially <laughs> if it was a woman, <laughs> they're Expression would immediately like change and it's kind of like oh <laughs> sort of reaction <laughs> and because there's this stereotype that like if you're a stepmother it's like oh you're you must be a homewrecker you must have mm-hmm. stolen this man from some other woman and or it's sort of like a pity thing where it's like oh you couldn't you couldn't find a guy who didn't have kids you know and, it was, <laughs> and I was like what is this reaction that I'm getting I mean sometimes I would get used to it I kind of just Especially even if I was talking to a divorced woman, I that's the thing. Like, I think they would just kind of put themselves in their minds that maybe if their ex-husband moved on and married somebody else, they don't have a good relationship with them. So I think sometimes it was just like projection onto mm-hmm. me. And I was like, okay, I kind of understand that. I'm a people pleaser at heart. So it was really hard for me for a long time. But it's really 
sort of developed my resolve. And it's also just made me realize how important it is for people to speak out as when you have a blended family and share what works and what doesn't work and show that like, I mean, in Canada, it's one of the fastest growing forms of families, blended families. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, it can definitely work and it can be this positive thing, but we just got to have more conversations about it. I had a woman on the show, Rachel G. Woodson. I think it was episode 39. She met her husband in the church. She got married last year and took on his children. And to totally get rid of that word, stepmother, she calls her children like bonus children. She doesn't call them stepchildren. So she has her sons. And when she refers to his children, she calls, she says she's a bonus mom. She doesn't say she's a stepmom mm-hmm. or she says, I have, you know, my, my bonus babies. Yeah. Not my step babies. Because like you said, there is that stigma. When I was married, I had four stepchildren. He had okay. uh, three daughters and one son before we met. And wow. it was a lot. And I was young. I was in my early twenties. I was probably like 21, 22. <laughs> and I had right. two of my own at the time. And then when we got married, we had one together. And I would just say to people like, we have seven kids and people would look at me like, yeah. oh my God, you had seven children. <laughs> like, yeah. I wouldn't, I would even entertain the stepmother conversation sometimes because you already know it comes with this stigma of being like this, like you said, the evil stepmother. Yeah. So, okay. With the church having the negative feedback, how did you navigate through that? It was, to be honest, like super painful. I mean, looking back and like with everything in life, right? You go through the super painful process and looking back, you're actually grateful for it. But mm-hmm. at the time, it was really hard because it really kind of split those who I thought were my friends and those who turned out not, you know, not to be so much and those who were like down for me and supported us no matter what. Because I had some friends that were like, I don't care. You know, we love you. We love you both. We know exactly what you're doing. We trust you. It was like this sense of like trust of like, you guys know what you're doing. You know what is meant for your life. Like if this is weird thing, I find especially among believers, they kind of like feel like they have, they'll know better for your life than you mm-hmm. do. Which is like really <laughs> weird. <laughs> you get it. I totally get it. Yeah. And I'm just kind of like, wait, why are you telling me what I'm supposed to be doing with my life? Like, of course, you have people have opinions, like it's the same thing with family or anything else. Like, when you, like, you care about someone, you might have like your general opinions of, you know, want to share some guidance. But at the end of the day, you have to let people live their life. One of my favorite reactions is when I do tell people, they're like, oh, you have five kids. And I'm like, yeah, I do. And they're like, wow, I could never do that. Or like, you have to like get along with the mother of your older kids. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, I can never do that. I'm like, yeah, it's probably good that you're not, you know, because it's not you. Yeah, yeah. It was something that was given to me. And for whatever reason, my personality can handle it. This is something that everyone has a different journey. So a lot of people kind of project what they think or what their perceptions are, and they try to put it on you. And Mm -hmm. it's like, but no, but we have different paths in life. So it was really hard. It worked because, I mean, at one point I had someone that I was really good friends with and I even got this letter from her husband who we used to be like cool with and it was basically, it was shocking. Like it was this whole thing about like you should, you know, not be marrying this person. Your future husband, basically, he made his bed and he should lie in it. It was like these really hurtful statements, basically how I come from. My parents were never married and his comments were basically, well, you come from a broken home and you're just now going to solidify a broken home for these kids. And I was like, this is 
so hurtful and horrible. And that's why it's so disappointing, especially from people that you think that, okay, you're church folk. You should be extra mm-hmm. loving and extra mm-hmm. caring. You Thou know? shall not and judge. <laughs> exactly. And it was super disappointing because a lot of the time we meet folks who, like, you know, have nothing to do with, you know, have no faith or run the church or whatever. And they're super supportive. They're like, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, you make it work. That's because great. they're more you're... open-minded. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so I'm so determined to, like, kind of try to you know to change that especially I grew up in like a super orthodox very strict church but the church I go to now is much more open-minded but just they didn't quite get that concept of just love people just love on them just support them it doesn't matter if you agree with it or not at the end of the day just pray for them and they'll, they'll figure out themselves and all you can do is be there to support it so it was definitely a huge lesson for me when it came to church in general. I was just so used to sort of like pleasing everybody and doing exactly as what was asked of me and then sort of realizing you have to just sometimes you're going to do things and that you feel is right for your life or that you've prayed about and you determine that this is your destiny and everyone's not going to agree with it. Mm-hmm. Are you going to go with it or not? So it definitely made me a strong person. Wow. Well, and you guys have been married 11 years. Like you ever look back at some of the people that said some of those things to you and just smile and be like, <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's really, you know, you don't want to gloat in it at all. Like I'm just, okay, grateful. And, and, it, and that was a lesson itself. Like there was a time where I was really angry. I was really angry and frustrated with people. And I would maybe kind of feel the need to speak back or sort of justify myself to people. And then over time, as I matured, I realized I don't need to say nothing. My life will just, it will show itself, you know. And so I remember I used to have this thing, especially when I would run into people and they'd have really negative opinions or reactions to me. And I would just tell myself, time will tell. Time will be my vindicator. Each year that goes by that I have a happy, successful marriage, that's all that's all that you need. I don't need to keep trying to defend myself to people. And, you know, and looking back, that's the thing, like, unfortunately, for some people that that might have said certain things, they're not even married themselves anymore. Mm-hmm. And here I am with my marriage that everyone's <laughs> like, oh, this is not going to work. This is going to be a disaster. You're like, you're ruining your life. And, you know, here we are, me and my husband, we have the three beautiful kids together that we had two together ourselves. My children all love each other and adore each other. I couldn't even imagine having my little ones not having their older ones like they adore mm-hmm. my older kids so much and it's been such a great life and we've been able to be successful and happy and I realized like yeah if I had listened to everybody and not done what I thought was right for my life I wouldn't be here right now right right first off and I'm sorry you had to go through that because that I understand how traumatic that can be. I've experienced similar things, but I want to say kudos to you for sticking it out, for showing that love wins because I'm, and I'm going to say, especially church folk, because I go to church. I'm there once, (laughs) sometimes twice a week. I get it. Yeah. But there is this thing with church folks where they have their biases and their strong opinions that they like to force on people because of their own views and opinions and don't realize that you're hurting people, that you're inflicting pain on people, whether you're doing it intentionally or not. And it's not positive. Like if we look at the commandments, they're all about our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. And we're supposed to be loving people. And instead we're hurting people. No, I totally, totally agree. What advice would you give to another woman who's stepping into that role? 
Oh, that's a really good question. So <laughs> in terms of like how to manage the opinions or just like becoming um, a stepmother himself? I would say whichever you feel to give advice on because stepping into the stepmother role. Okay, so for here's one. When I stepped into that stepmother role, I knew that I was not taking on the role of their mother. I'm not taking on the role mm-hmm. of another mother. It's like kind of playing like the cool aunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I had to understand that there are certain amount of boundaries, but I also made sure that I loved those kids like they were my own. And sometimes I would get up early in the morning, you know, when we had them over at our house, I'd get up early in the morning and do more for them sometimes than I did for my own because I wanted them to understand that I may not be your mom, but I love you just as much. Like I... I still care for you. I still care about your well-being. I love your father and I love you guys and I want you guys to feel that. So I guess for for you, like what advice would you give a woman stepping into that stepmom role? I think what's important is one, you sort of have to establish, like you have to, it's going to be unique for every person. Like you can't necessarily look at one blood in the family to the next because there's different dynamics, there's different personalities. So you have to kind of assess the situation. One, for me, it was important that me and my husband are obviously on, on the same page in terms of what works well for us. Like our, me and my husband's parenting styles is pretty similar. So that worked out really well. And it keeps us not having opposing opinions on how we're, we're raising the kids. But it was important to me that we're on the same page. We communicate on the regular. But when it comes to working things out, because I, I know that's usually the biggest challenge is like, well, how do you work with the birth mother or the, you know, whoever else is involved or the father in whatever case. And that part is the part that you kind of have to figure out based on their personality. So in my case, their mother has been super supportive because they had such an amicable separation. They were like, Hey, we still appreciate each other. We like each other as friends, but we just don't work as right, a couple. Right. So, so there was no, all these hurt feelings or drama. There was no like, Oh, I want him back. Or like, because I didn't have any of that. She was like super open. At the end of the day, she's, I know she has so much respect for my husband and knowing like how much he adores his kids. So she's like, well, Hey, if he trusts you with the kids, I'll trust you with the kids. And that mm-hmm. has been like her approach. So, much respect to her because I know a lot of people don't necessarily have that. And part of the reason why my family and my marriage works so well is because of her, because if she was making my life hell, mm-hmm, <laughs> then mm-hmm. it would not work as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that was super important. So I think for anyone who's getting into it, definitely like just sort of assess everybody involved. I think communication is absolutely key. Like do your best to communicate as much with your partner to know, okay, this is what I want. This is what I expect. And this, the next thing that was super important to me is that I wanted to develop a relationship with the kids right from the get-go. So that was part of the reason we actually didn't have any kids together until five years later. And mm-hmm. part of the reason was it was super important to me for me to develop a relationship with the kids and not throw another child into our family without me feeling like I was secure in my relationship with them and not making right. them feel like, oh, they're being pushed to the side because now there's another baby in here. And so for years, we developed our own little like traditions as a family. We do some things together, like we do Christmas morning all together. So their mom comes over (laughs) and we all do Christmas mornings together. And then there's other things we do separately. Like when Thanksgiving, for example, we usually do with my side of the family and she takes them and does them with her side of the family. So we kind of just worked it out over for the years. And with my kids, even growing up for a couple of years, they actually just called me by my first name because I didn't want them to like oppose, like you said, I'm not the, like, I'm not your mom and Mm -hmm. you already have a beautiful, wonderful mom. And I'm not trying to take that. 
in our case, my kids, they do um, sort of look at me as being like a second mom. And so I'm like a mother, but I'm not the mother. Right, know? right. <laughs> and, uh, so there's like a, a, a distinction. So for years, they just call me my first name. And then when we start talking about the idea of having another baby, they came to me and was like, we don't want to call you by your first name anymore. We don't feel like it does justice to like who Aww. you are in our lives. <laughs> yeah, which was super amazing. It was exactly what I wanted. I didn't want to like, you call me that now. You know? Yeah, right. And so we actually had a little sort of conversation about it. And they came up with like names and then there was a vote. And so then they came down to like two different options. I can't remember what the other one was, but the other one is mama. So they're like, we'll call you mama. And they called their mother mommy. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know what, we'll go with mama. And then that way, when I have babies, they'll call me mama too. And then you're all calling me the same thing. I didn't want one group right, of kids right. to call me one thing and another group of kids. So that's worked out like super, super well. So I feel like those are the kinds of things that you can do to just develop your own relationship with the kids. And at the end of the day, when people have all their opinions, it doesn't matter as long as they're happy. I've been in situations and people have said nasty things to me or have their opinions or especially what I hate is when people used to like make comments about like, oh, I guess you're kind of like a mom or like I remember one time I was wishing someone um, happy Mother's Day and they're like, oh, yeah, kind of like to you, I guess. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow. Okay. And at the end of the day, I was like, I'm at football practices three times a week. I'm, you know, cleaning up, vomit. I've mm-hmm. like had to deal with people peeing their beds overnight. Sorry, kids, but you know, it's happened <laughs> when they were younger. <laughs> you know, and I was like, I'm doing these motherly things, but you get like zero credit for zero it credit. because yeah. like, well, you're not really a mom. Mm-hmm. And but the end of the day, like I remember my second daughter came to me and she was talking about how one of her friends was like, Oh, you have a stepmother, like do you hate her? And she looked at her and she was telling me about how she was looked at her like she was crazy. And she was like, What are you talking about? Like my mama is amazing and she mm-hmm. said I have two moms and I'm totally happy like she proudly tells people like, it's confusing because you love sometimes mm-hmm. <laughs> but she's like no I have two moms <laughs> and she's like more than happy to tell people that because she's like no I, I love myself what are you talking about and even for us the thing I love what you're saying about Rachel who you had on on the show I, I remember mm-hmm. listening to that podcast and that's the thing because a lot of the time I even kind of cringe having to say stepkids or stepmom mm-hmm. or whatever but I usually do it sort of once just so people kind of understand. They get confused. And I'm like, five kids. They're like, how? How did you have five kids? How did you have a 19-year-old son? <laughs> you know? And I'm like, okay, fine. I'm like, three of them are not from my body. Two of them mm-hmm. are. And, but so usually after that, then I just refer to my kids as like, yeah, my oldest one, my son, my daughter. Like, it's just like, yeah, there's no distinction. I love them all the same. They're all my kids. And a lot of the time, you just need to kind of bow to just explaining things to other people. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, all that matters is that you're happy, the kids are happy. And that's the thing. I'll put up with people's opinions all day long, knowing that my kids are really happy with their family. I just love the way that you've been able to navigate through that whole thing and to show yeah. what it should look like in terms of just loving and accepting and learning to get along with the mm-hmm. other mother and with the other children. I think it's just beautiful. Oh, and I, thank you I, so much. I, I, I wish more people would understand. So I'm just hoping that they're all listening to this episode where it doesn't <laughs> have to be a nightmare situation. 
It doesn't have yeah. to be that way. Like people are confused when I say, so my two daughters have the same father and my son has a different father and right. people get confused and are like, what? When I say how well <laughs> I get along with my daughter's father. He, oh, love it. I love he, he hangs out and then him and my partner get along. We've done Father's oh. Day stuff together. You know, the kids want, Amazing. they're like, they want us to go to the car show with them and their dad. Like, it's a beautiful dynamic. And I remember when I used to travel a lot for work, like last year and the year before, you know, every, almost every three weeks I'm out of the country. And people uh-huh. are like, how are you able to travel so much? And I had to thank their father for that because I'm like, if we didn't get along, if he didn't come in and stay with the kids or come and help with the situation, I wouldn't be able to to travel so much. You know, I was a single mom traveling the world for work, but thank God because we had this great relationship and it's not that whole evil stepmom situation or evil stepdad or whatever. Uh-huh. Like my, my son, who has a different father, loves my daughter's father. He enjoys his company, enjoys hanging out with him and his other children. We can all go to the park together. We can all, you know, oh, do stuff so together. Amazing. And people are like, how does that work? It just does yeah. because we're not yeah. we're not selfish about it. We're not hating on anybody. It's just love. Like the children are so happy when they see us all hanging out together. You can just see the looks on their faces. And that'll teach yeah. them to be better human beings and to love and to accept. And I, I believe I learned that from my mother. My father <laughs> was a Rastafarian. He's got probably like 20 children. But my mom's always <laughs> been very loving and accepting of the children, no matter what the situation is. Oh, you know? that's wonderful. So she's never shown any animosity towards the children or treated them ill and I learned from her like you just love them they're innocent children and that's what we're supposed to do exactly exactly no I think that's so important I absolutely love getting to hear that that's your situation because I'm always happy to hear like when there's positive I remember looking for books about becoming a stepmother and they were so depressing <laughs> like everything was like you're gonna hate your life like this, you're gonna hate you it's gonna be awful and I was like terrible <laughs> it's not encouraging at all and that's the thing like why we sort of accepted that it being this horrible experience or being super negative and that's quote unquote normal. Mm -hmm. And we get comments like that all the time when the fact that, you know, she'll come over and we hang out. Um, Even like last night, it was my youngest daughter's her third birthday. And my daughter was asking for their mom, like, oh, I didn't get to see her yet Mm -hmm. to celebrate our birthday. And so she stopped by with my girls. And just so they brought her a present. And sometimes my kids will ask to go over to their house or my, my two daughters live full time with, with their mom. And mm-hmm. so my kids will ask, oh, I want to go to their house. Mm-hmm. And she's totally open to it. She's like, yeah, of course, like, come on over. And she has a great relationship with our kids. And people have made comments to me. I remember someone, it got back to someone had made comments behind my back. And one of my friends called me one day and was like, yo, someone's talking about you and saying how, you know, they've seen your husband. I think they went to like lunch or something, lunch or something with his ex and they were like oh you know what's going on like why were they together I'm like, <laughs> people are so friends. negative and nosy <laughs> <laughs> yeah and they're like it's weird it's really weird that they all get along and like insinuate really weird things but why mm-hmm. is it that we've accepted that peace and joy and everyone getting along is weird and mm-hmm. us all hating each other and that's quote-unquote normal I'm like why would we accept that as a society exactly. it's crazy to me Exactly. I've been in the mall with, so my, my daughter's father has three children after, like after we split up and I've been in the mall with like his son and my daughters, or, you know, I've been out places. We've gone to like Walmart together and people 
people especially if i posted it like in my instagram stories or something and people are like what oh, i'm confused what's happening there and it's like <laughs> you know what we get along it's none of your business let's just leave it there yeah <laughs> exactly i know it's so strange to me that people would rather accept what is like chaotic and negative than accept something that is positive and loving i have a question for you have you along the way had any coaches or mentors that have helped you whether business or personal let me think I've definitely had growing up in church I had sort of like older sisters and uh, one or two of them in, in particular that were just a couple of years older than me and they were always super positive one in particular I remember um, at the time when we were getting married and I was really dealing with like all this negative stuff and she was actually in Japan I think at the time and she flew all the way back here to Canada to come to my wedding and she was just like just block it out block out all of the haters she's like I trust you you know what you're doing and she's like that's all that matters mm -hmm. and she's always been like super encouraging in terms of like whatever I did and you know with work or my family and then definitely been a blessing to have someone that I can kind of look up to. She's done this great work and like travel around the world and done some just social justice work in like England and all those things. And her name is Ruth. So shout out Ruth. Um, <laughs> so she's definitely been like a mentor to me, but I think mentors too sometimes are even people that you don't actually ever even meet. Like, yeah, of course, even, you know, like someone like yourself, you could be like watching you, following you along on Instagram. You know, we've only met once or twice, but it's like, <laughs> You're a mentor, you know, you see the great things that you're doing and thank you. you look at this other, you know, another woman who's doing these fabulous things. And I love that. I love getting to like, especially when they relate, you know, since when you really see how, like you said, like for yourself, like having a, you know, a mixed family, blooded family and all those dynamics and you're still killing it. You're still doing it. It's like all of this amazing work. So I think that's the great thing about social media. You can have these sort of like online mentors yes. that you connect with and you learn so much from even they don't even know how they're impacting your life. I totally agree with you. I have a ton of online social media mentors, women that mm -hmm. I admire greatly. And you are one of them. And that's why I wanted to have you on. <laughs> so <laughs> with with everything that you do in terms of the social justice work and being a mom and a wife and all of these beautiful things, how do you take care of Tasia? Like what's your self-care routine look like? Let me think about that one. <laughs> uh, I've definitely become more conscious of that in the last year or so, just kind of at the apex of my life in terms of like, I have five kids now, um, I'm at the top of my career. And then um, when we did started the Rise Initiative with my uh, co-founder, Achilles Kipandapa, we did so much work in like that one year. And so I started to realize how important it is to take time. I love reading. So I've kind of forced myself to get back into that. It kind of really fell off when I had my first son and realizing like, oh, wow, I don't have time when you have a baby. <laughs> like it's so hard to just find time to sit down and read. But so I've gotten back into that. I love baths. That's like one of my favorite things in the world. I take a hot bath with, I have the Epsom salts and the bath bombs and all of that. And that's like my me time, put on some spa music. One of the things that I've actually started doing from um, when I was pregnant with my daughter at the time, one of a good friend of mine, she had cancer and she was having a really difficult time and it was towards the end of her life. And it just made me really, really sad. And I think especially you know, being pregnant, all the hormones, I was mm -hmm. getting kind of really depressed about it. And so I had talked to my midwife and she was like, you know, why don't you go talk to a therapist? 
And especially growing up in church, it was like, you don't go talk to a therapist. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, just pray, just pray about it. And everything would be fine. I was actually worried about postpartum depression and stuff. And so I was like, yeah, let me be proactive. And so I started seeing a therapist. And so I check in with her every month or so, every couple of months. And it's been a huge blessing. That's been something that's really helped sort of take care of my mental health of just, mm-hmm. just talking, just having someone to talk to. It's in a like judge-free zone because no matter how much I love talking to my husband or friends or whatever, you know, at the point like, well, now they know this your particular opinion about something. <laughs> right. <laughs> Might right. come back on later. <laughs> so but I so I love to... that you mentioned yeah. the therapist because I've had a few women who have been on the show and also faith-based Christian women that also shared the importance of having a therapist. And I think oh, the okay. older generation was anti-therapist you know, you're supposed to yeah. just pray and then magic happens. But I love <laughs> that you guys are all being open and showing how important it is to have that balance and to have on top of your faith, to have some tangible things and some practices to help you Absolutely. to heal. I came across this Reader's Digest article, which I've been using on every show. And so far it's been on point. So let's see how it does today. It says that your favorite type of shoes says a lot about your personality. Awesome. <laughs> my question to you, Tasha, is what is your favorite type of shoe? Is it a boot, a running shoe, a flat, a flip-flop, a pump, a mule, a wedge? I don't know. What's your favorite type of shoe? Oh, hands down, it is a boot. I love boots. I think they are the perfect mix between being strong and but at the same time still being sexy. So I feel like that sums me up pretty well. <laughs> okay. So would you say more like a um, like a high heel boot or a work boot? I love high heel boots. Okay, so high heel boot wearers take charge. Mm-hmm. Says in the event of a crisis, the person who loves wearing high heel boots will always be the one to take control of the situation. They're quick on their mm-hmm. feet and able to make clear, rational decisions. This woman is exceptionally self-assured, so people around her feel instantly safer in her hands. The high heel oh, boot wow. is a take charge kind of person. She loves being center stage and is very assertive. Oh, interesting. Does that sound like you? That's pretty close. I don't know how assertive <laughs> I am. I'm a little shy. <laughs> but I definitely like the, the part about feeling self-assured. I think that's something that I've definitely developed in the last few years and has become much like particularly going through everything I've been through. It's just life is so much easier when you feel at home sort of in your own boots. Mm-hmm. So I want you, before we quickly go to the final segment of the show, to tell people where they can stay connected with you online. You can follow me on all of my handles. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. It's Tasia Cassandra. So basically just my first name and middle name. And um, I actually just started to launch a blog just to kind of start sharing a little bit more of my journey as a stepmother and it's tasiacassandra.com awesome so i will make sure to have all of the direct links where they can stay connected with you in the details section and for the final segment of the show i like to call it a walk in her wisdom and i usually ask a couple of reflection questions name a book that has greatly changed or impacted your life the book i read most recently that i feel is really great for women is girl wash your face by rachel hollis mm, and it's all her. about the yes me too and it's all about the lies that women tell themselves to stop them from becoming like their best version of themselves i love her <laughs> okay <laughs> awesome <laughs> i definitely stalk her on instagram and i read all of oh my gosh, letters. Yeah. <laughs> me too <laughs> okay 
What have you become better at saying no to in the last five years? And that could be distractions, invitations, family. I think I've been much better at saying no to work. I only want to do something unless I can do it extremely well. So if there, I can feel like I can't give it all of my attention, I'll say no to it. And also because I don't want to take away from my family because I'm trying mm-hmm. to make, make sure that they're a priority. So, Keja, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us and sharing your story with us. You have no idea how much I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for everything that you're doing. I really, really admire all the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. And to all of our faith walkers out there, until next time, subscribe to our newsletter at awalkinmystilettos.com and grab a copy of one of my personal development books available online everywhere. And if you've received value from today's show, make sure you share it with a friend that needs to hear Keisha's message. And be sure to screenshot this week's episode and tag us on Instagram at Teja Cassandra and at The Real McKinney Smith and continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling.